Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Curtis Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to another lovely episode of the Lines Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me is Liam. Yay, Liam. How you doing, bud? Oh, I'm terrific, bud. I was telling you about my day off air. Uh, it'll be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, whatever. <laughs> now you're just going to make people concerned. Like, I'm good. You know, you, fine. You never have to like reassure someone that uh, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. If it's actually going to be fine. Um, it'll be fine. It's going to be fine. Uh, speaking of things being fine, uh, a lot has happened since uh, uh, we've started recording the series. It's the longest series that you've been a part of. Uh, and this is the final episode, part five. I could have gone six. We almost did it to you. Yeah. And I did something that I never do, which is like I abridged myself. I edited myself down and said, wow. no, no more than five. Yeah. Wow. Are you Joe Kasabian? Normally, that only happens when I have like a contractual agreement with an editor that tells me to shut the fuck Please up. Make it stop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. One time they let me come out with a book that was like 600 pages long. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. Um, that'll never happen again. Uh, Stephen King can do it. I mean, the stand is like 1,100 pages. Yeah, I can't afford that much Coke. Uh, oh, yeah, I think well, it was Coke he was on. I know it was a lot of alcohol, yeah, but yeah, I think it was also yeah, Coke. Well, yeah, it was Coke. It would certainly explain some of the scenes in It. Yeah. Don't One scene in particular. Yeah, the preteen gangbang. Yeah, helped. no, 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 not a preteen gangbang. It was a train, and it was in a sewer. <laughs> oh, I gotta tell you, at 13, I was just getting ready for my bar mitzvah. They certainly age quicker in Maine when you're being attacked by evil clowns, don't they? Who amongst us? Whom's amongst us doesn't have some sewer sex when being chased by Pennywise the clown. Anyway. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Speaking of not Pennywise the clown, when we left you last time, Francisco Solano Lopez, the president of Paraguay, and I'm going to say this again because I've clearly made a lot of people mad. The self-proclaimed emperor of the plate. Me saying plate made people upset, and I will explain why I've said plate and not plata, and that is because in the earliest English translations uh, from Spanish to English, they used plate. P-L-A-T-E, not plata. You would not pronounce the word plate as plata, therefore plata. plate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm aware that in Spanish, it is plata, as in silver. I get it. Okay. Now. Leave us alone, dickheads. Come at me. Don't, don't come at me. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, now, he was chased from his capital as the allied armies of Argentina, Brazil, and Uruguay, a lesser extent Uruguay, under the command of the Iron Duke of Brazil, stormed through his defenses. However, because this is part five, it should become as no surprise that Lopez was too dumb to quit or 
even think his plans all the way through before attempting them. Actually, that was probably pretty evident in the last four episodes. Yeah, this guy's not a thinker. Yeah, he sure thinks he is, though. Philosophical warrior monk. If Solano Lopez was alive today, he would work for like Turning Point USA and debate college kids. Oh, I was going to say be a crypto bro. I mean, that's the same guy. Yeah, that's true. Now, he was aware that seven ironclads of the Brazilian Navy still remained near Porto Elisario, uh, and he judged that these would not be in a high state of alert, being that they were considered safely at port. And he figured that uh, because they would not be at a heightened state of alert, they would be easy to attack and capture. Uh, Remember, Paraguay never really had much of a navy, a riverine navy. They were all retrofitted like river steamboats. And these are purpose-built military ships. This baby could fit so many Paraguayans, it just sinks. His fleet was one step above like a swan-shaped boat that you would rent um, if you were at like a tourist destination. (laughs) All aboard for Love Canal. Just like a 50 cal mouth on a swan boat. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, that would probably be better than some of the shit that he had. Do we need to talk about the canoes again? Actually, we we are going to talk about the canoes again. Of course we are. Why wouldn't we do that? He had no way of moving his ships down to like uh, attack them while they were at port in a proper naval engagement. And even if he did, the ironclads would have fucking eaten them alive. So he figured the best way to, to solve this problem would be to crank that crazy dial to 11 and try something deeply weird. Okay. Okay. I always like that sentence. This is the part of him that I can actually respect. There's a lot of generals or military leaders or uh, you know, self-proclaimed emperors, whatever, uh, who try some wild ass shit. And you know, when you roll the die, occasionally you're, you're going to win. Sure. And those are the ones that we remember. He rolls snake eyes like 10 times out of 10. Um, so yeah, I can't respect him for that part. Wow. He called his four best captains, Suspedes, Genes, Bernal, and Vera, and ordered them to select his 200 best swimmers that they knew about in the army, which is not what you want to hear. Now, his idea was that they strap themselves... Oh, he speaks the third most Italian. Italian. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Now, his idea was they strap themselves full of weapons, swim downriver... Board the ironclads, take oh, them over, which, oh, remember, are manned by hundreds of people, um, right. and then hijack them and bring them back. Um, all right. Now, the captains immediately realize, like, wow, this is, this is fucking stupid, even by the emperor's standards here. Um, so they pointed out that, sir, this is a great idea and all. You're a true genius. However, the current is simply too strong, and anybody who attempted to swim in the river would fucking die. So he actually listened to that and he's like, okay, so let's do it with canoes. So on March 1st, in the darkness, this canoe-based expedition set off. And uh, the first attempt was, as you can imagine, a complete disaster. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the canoe crews, seeing another canoe of the hodgepodge form of Paraguayan Navy uh, in the darkness, got scared seeing that it might be a Brazilian ship, despite the fact that they were well aware that They were all using these canoes. So seeing this, he figured, oh, fuck, missions off, jumped into the river and tried to swim to shore and immediately fucking died. Um, So that, bam, one crew down right off the beginning. (laughs) That's not going well. Okay. Another canoe was caught in a whirlpool, which led to them again bailing out of their canoe and dying. Boom. Two crews down. Going great. 
Come on. The following night, they tried again. This time, their canoes were tied together in pairs. This helped them, you know, not get scared at their own shadows or get lost in the river itself. And it evolved their tactics with that being that they could drift on either side of an enemy vessel. The rope would catch the enemy boat and then they would just bang against the side, effectively, uh, you know, being able to board it. So, okay, good idea. Problem. It's not a good idea. So... The men crouched down uh, at the bottom of their canoes, holding up branches and vegetation uh, as a form of camouflage, hoping that they would look like floating islands, which mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. getting some real Metal Gear Solid vibes here of like Solid Snake hiding in the box. But if it works, it works. However, it didn't work. It, t- it turned out the guards on the fleet were pretty goddamn suspicious of the sudden appearance of, of these islands. I can't believe the floating islands ploy. The uh, old reliable didn't work. Like, look, man, I've been on guard for a really long time, but were those islands there before? No, I, I didn't think so. Now, the canoes still managed to get close enough because remember, this is a pretty fast moving river and uh, where a few attackers boarded two of the ships, the Lima Barros and the Cabral. They even killed the captain of the Lima Barros. Imagine writing that letter home. Mm-hmm. Dearest widow, I regretfully write to you to tell your husband died in a very stupid acme-ass canoe-born naval assault. <laughs> Condolences. Once on the boats, the attackers assumed, like they actually had before, you know, when they did have naval battles before, that the sailors would run out, you know, sally forth out of the ship and fight off the, the people who have boarded them. But these were ironclads. They didn't have to do that. Instead, they just left the deck and locked themselves in the armored quarters. And that effectively sure. killed the entire Paraguayan plot. They oh. couldn't get in. <laughs> All right. Time to, time to go. Well, uh, what, did the Japanese had kamikaze frogmen or something? Uh, I wouldn't surprise me. I don't know, though. Uh, they had plenty of other kamikaze shit. That's what you got to do. What in doubt, resort to suicide bombing. Yeah, that honestly probably would have worked. Uh, this is one of the few problems in history that could be solved with suicide bombers. I mean, to be, to be fair, Paraguay also tried suicide bombers a couple episodes ago, and that didn't work great. So, you know, that didn't, uh, that didn't work. the old suicide bomb drawing board. <laughs> that's right. These armored quarters were strong enough to, you know, uh, be resistant to gunfire, so they couldn't just shoot the doors open. The raiders got mad, yelling and swearing at the sailors to come out and fight them without actually being able to get inside and take over the ships. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Like they just kind of animal house, right? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> they just kind of paced around outside, getting madder and madder. Like, come on, pussies, come shoot at us! No, fuck. All right. <laughs> Now, the other two canoe groups totally missed their targets, floated downstream, and uh, while the rest of the Brazilian Navy pulled up to support the other two ships. Remember, all the attackers are trapped on the open deck. So the attackers just had to pull up and start shooting at them with small arms, which worked. A lot of the Paraguayans died on deck, but a lot more tried to jump overboard and swim the shore, which killed them. Of the 200 men they sent out, there were only 50 survivors. (laughs) Oh, they they captured zero ships. Outstanding work, boys. At this point, Lopez and what remained of his army were squirreled away in the middle of the woods near San Fernando, and the president was losing what remained of his sanity. Um, despite the fact that his country is being... It's held on for five episodes. That's not bad. Uh, arguable. I'll say it held on for the first episode when he came okay. to power. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. Is that, I mean, even his war plan itself was a little unhinged. Suicide box. 
I mean, we've we've talked about suicide canoes charging into cacti and the Navy destroying itself. So eh, low bar here. Now, despite the fact his country was being slowly eaten away by a war of his own creation, he believed the biggest threat to him and his God-given mission were, would you guessed it, the people in his immediate surrounding. Oh. We're doing that. We're, we're doing the paranoid spiral now. Oh, yes. The doctor's plot. Yes. Particularly his immediate family, his generals, and even the diplomatic oh, community. Oh, uh-oh. Because at this point, he took his entire government with him. This included diplomatic ministers. Uh, so, like, the U.S. minister is, like, hanging out in the middle of the jungle with him. Because, like, that's his job. Oh, hey, guys. <laughs> he accused his family, all of his favorite generals, and even the U.S. minister of conspiring against him. The reason why he uh, accused the uh, U.S. minister of conspiring against him is because he's like, hey, uh, President Lopez, you should possibly end the war. <laughs> Traitor! <laughs> uh, I'll show you ending the war. <laughs> now, this, the only thing that probably saved the U.S. minister was, you know, shooting him would be uh, a bit of a bad idea. But that didn't save anybody else. His paranoia resulted in hundreds of trials out in the middle of the woods without judges, juries, but plenty of executioners. Virtually everybody that looked at him the wrong way got the wall. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Elsewhere, what remained of the Paraguayan organized defense was um, rapidly shitting in its own mouth. Not entirely in shitting in its own pants ah, from disease. Tomato, tomato. The disease was large. Uh, the disease. The defense was largely crumbling. The disease was not crumbling. That's one thing. That, <laughs> no, the disease is gaining strength. Actually, <laughs> that shit is foundational at this point. There is more disease in the army than soldiers. Now, remember, the last episode, their main fort fell, so a lot of their organized defense was organized around that. Not to mention a word of the capital you know, being shelled and the government running off into the jungle to self-destruct and shoot one another is bad for morale. Though the commanders of the Paraguayan army were trying to make sure that withdrawal uh, away from these areas to consolidate their forces was organized so they could you know, save their fighting force for later. Unfortunately for them, this involved, at a, in a best-case scenario, marching tired, starving, and very, very sick men. Horrible humidity, heat, ever-present sucking mud that, like, sucked. It, it, some of these guys didn't have boots, but the ones that did have boots lost their boots in the mud. The mud, yeah, sure. Ooh. A lot of the guys who did have boots did not wear them, walking barefoot through the jungle, cutting their feet up, or were probably already cut up from their shitty boots, leading to infections, and, you know, you know where that goes. Shit disease swamp. Shit disease swamp. Yeah. Uh, Operation don't shit wanna, disease swamp. Don't want to go there in Candyland. All of this had to occur. Mar this like a horrible march over march, unspeakably yeah. brutal terrain without any potable water or salt. So if you were <laughs> one of the few men that were not racked with disease, you Sorry. were dying of dehydration. <laughs> There's nothing to drink. Not a goddamn thing. And for people who aren't aware... You can use salt to stave off dehydration. At this point, one of the things Lucier's book points out is like Paraguay had no salt left, <laughs> like in the entire country. Um, this causes a ton of problems, obviously for preserving meat, but also for staving off dehydration if you're fighting a war. At other points, it's meant crossing rivers without boats to get for guys uh, making rafts out of whatever they could find, like the few unexploded trees in the area from shell fire. Or at one point, they stole an entire church roof and floated it, which works. As you do. Um, they must have been huge fans of Burzum. 
Um, <laughs> now, uh, I know oh. that. <laughs> It's right. Whole army of corpse paint uh, wearing guys. Uh, Dude, I'm seeing candle mask on Friday. (laughs) Another thing is like a lot of the rafts that they had to build sucked. Remember, like you'd have to cut trees down, lash things together. All these dudes are super, super weak and sickly. So like they're the quality of their labor is rock fucking bottom. A lot of these boats just took these guys to their deaths. Slap together. If that. And even if this went off without a hitch, the Brazilian Navy was alive and well, like doing circles of the nearby Chaco River, just doing like systematic drive-bys constantly. So even if they're like, oh, we found all of these good trees to make rafts out of, oh, fuck, here comes the fleet again, right? When this went badly, Lopez arrested the nearby commander's wife because the commander himself had surrendered. He's like, well, I can't shoot that guy, but I can shoot his family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> After the allies became aware of the little fortress of doom in the woods, Lopez was forced to break camp once again, fleeing, forcing his you know government in exile and everybody else to come with him. When the allies marched into the San Fernando campsite, they found very little but they did find the remains of 350 people that Lopez had executed. Uh-oh. Lopez had scampered off so quickly while telling so few people that when the allies were standing around surveying the area, a Paraguayan soldier who had just showed up for their guard post was like standing there confused. Like, uh-huh. Are you saying that I don't have to go to work today? And he just walk into the middle of the kid. They just like, well, uh, you're captured now. And that guy was like, oh, thank God. Sweet. All right. Cool. Where's the Where's the camp? Do you want me to walk myself? Or unfortunately for him, most Paraguayan prisoners of war were immediately forced back into service under the Uruguayan flag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then, as Lopez and his shrinking inner circle, which uh, as well as the haunted remains of his army, marched north, they put the countryside to the torch. What was left of it, I should point out. He demanded a total scorched earth campaign burning and stealing everything that he thought that could be used by the enemy if they couldn't carry it with them as they marched it had to be destroyed torched yeah Yeah. if anybody like any civilian and one of the few people still alive were like working the fields or the crops or whatever attempted to like hey man what the fuck are you doing immediate death sentence now unlike before when the allies would advance win and then sit on their ass for weeks months or and a couple times a year the Iron Duke continued the Allied offensive. He would not give Lopez the time to build any of his defenses anymore, though they would occasionally be slowed down by constant river crossings, which were a logistics nightmare. The Iron Duke solved, <laughs> the Iron Duke solved a lot of logistics problems within the uh, the Allied, mostly Brazilian army at this point. However, there was a lot of problems he wasn't able to solve, like communications and like quartering and, and supplies. So. Everyone's like, oh, uh, sir, we lost like a thousand people to uh, the cholera. Nah, fuck them. Who cares? All right. At the beginning of October 1868, the two armies faced each other on either side of the Pasakiri River. On either side of Lopez's positions, he had another river and a swamp, making it another death funnel, as we've spoken about. He's very good at building defenses. I will oh. give him that. Yeah, well... It's yeah. a bitch to get him out of there. It's hard, hard to do with, you know, and we'll stack the corpses as ramparts. <laughs> it would be easier than making his half-dead soldiers dig, to be fair. It's just use the guys who are dropping dead. Peek it out from, the, from what used to be your buddy. Like, ah, ah, can't hit me, can't hit me. 
In front of him, he had ordered his soldiers to dig two different dikes, which flooded the area with water that was about chest fucking high. So any advance into this was going to be awful. And I should point out, it was also awful to defend because you can't flood all this area without also flooding your own trenches, which he did. So (laughs) he had about 18,000 men all sitting at like waist high water and muddy trenches dying of malaria staring sure. off into the distance. <laughs> this sucks. I want to go home. Now, Lopez, who had fought plenty of other very dumb allied commanders up until this point, they like, ah, he has no choice but to attack straight into my death funnel. This is going to be great. Uh, and the Duke had about 30,000 men. And if he would have ordered them in there, it would have been a fucking bloodbath. Sure. So the Iron Duke took one look at this and he's like, I'm not doing that. That's fucking stupid. So he simply ordered his army around Lopez's right flank and up the river, where, would you have guessed it, Lopez had not even bothered to protect himself in any way. Oh, no death funnels? Oh, that's a shame. Now, this was a little bit more of a nightmare than it sounds. It is very very simple movement on paper, not in reality. Remember, this is unbroken wilderness in most places, so... Moving an army of that size along with their cannons and supplies they would need to, you know, conduct a military offensive required him to build an entire fucking road system, uh, which actually would be the most complete road system in Paraguay outside the capital. (laughs) And it was used specifically to kill Lopez. He had to order his engineers to build a road system so his army, horses, and carts could move through the thick brush. The road, which would have to be 30 miles long, would include five bridges, fortified redoubts, and telegraph lines to make sure he could communicate. It required the cutting down of more than 8,000 trees, all done with hand tools. Remember, this is no, no easy way to do this. He doesn't have a lot of pack animals either. This is all being done by hand. That fucking sucks. Yeah, this is the worst fucking job I've ever heard of in the army, even during this war. Like, I would rather just charge into the fucking swamp and die. They're all being mangled by disease, too. Like, I cannot underline that enough. Mm-hmm. At any given time on this road system, there's a thousand men working. And he made sure that this was a uh, like a shift system. So night and day, four months, thousands of men were working up to their waists in water in the hot, fetid atmosphere of a tropical jungle played by mosquitoes and insects and you know all of the awfulness that comes with this. No goddamn thank you. Oh, and jaguars. They'd nope. occasionally be picked off by fucking nope. jaguars. Nope. <laughs> like, imagine you're cutting down trees and you go to turn to your buddy and you see him getting like carried yeah. up a tree. Yeah. There's no like good numbers on how many of them died per day. The best I could find from three different sources on average is about a dozen. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> higher though. Yeah. Because you have to think for every dozen that drop dead, there's another two or three or four dozen that are half dead or on like one foot in the grave from disease or in, you know, eye shot of a hungry wild animal. <laughs> <laughs> The construction took months and the road was complete. The allies began slowly moving their men and supplies into position to attack. And that did not begin until December. On December 5th, 15,000 allied soldiers had made it up the road and crossed another river and landed miles behind Lopez's line. Though, despite all of this, they did fuck up. This is not a uh, pure genius move on behalf of the Iron Duke. Now, To complete this movement, the Allied forces would have to cross a nearby bridge, which they thought by virtue of being so far away from Lopez's known defenses that it would be secure. So they didn't even post anybody to guard it. Right. Lopez 
kind of figured this and ordered General Caballero and 8,000 of his... It could be Caballero or Caballero. Either or. Whichever one you're going to be mad at me anyway. I don't care. And 8,000 of his soldiers uh, to advance... Those sucks. I agree. Begin the mutiny. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so him and 8,000 of his men were ordered to advance up to that position and lay a trap for the main force that he knew would be coming. To make matters worse for the Allies, this bridge, which, remember, was built... Very recently, by largely unskilled hands, was very, very narrow. That meant despite outnumbering the defenders by 10,000, this force could only cross it very slowly, densely packed together, and, uh, you know, like two or three shoulder width. It was like two, two guys wide. Not conducive to, you know, say if you got ambushed and had to defend yourself on it. When Caballero, Caballero, whichever, launched his attack, there were 16,000 men packed onto this bridge and just behind it. Oh, boy. (laughs) Now, confusion was caused by the front ranks, because, like, say they they open fire, the front ranks immediately pause in place. Like, what the fuck is going on? This starts a chain reaction of this human snake, everybody pushing up against one another. People, though, they hear gunshots, and they're not sure where they're coming from. The people in front are getting shot. They're trying to pause. They're trying to run away. They're running back into the guys behind them, and they're so densely packed together they can't get through them. Other guys had fucked this and jumped into the river where they were then swept away and died. And then eaten by jaguars. <laughs> yeah, the jaguars are waiting by the side like grizzly bears trying to get salmon, but just like scooping soldiers up. Meanwhile, the Paraguayans sat there nice and cushy off in the bush, firing into this like roiling mass of confused soldiers. <laughs> now, this was a problem. The Iron Duke was on the far side of the bridge he hadn't crossed yet sitting with his cavalry and realized if things didn't change they would just get picked apart until the paraguayans ran out of fucking ammo right the best way to break an ambush is assault directly through it that is true as it was in the 1800s as it is today and he knew that however due to the, all of the confusion which had effectively formed a human crush in the middle of a bridge mm, tasty he could not order the forward units to fucking move. There was no chain in, uh, of which that he could pass an order up there other than, you know, common sense to get the fuck off the bridge. And some people had managed to get off on the other side, but there was no force. There's no organization. It was a complete clusterfuck. Sure. So he realized, I have to give these guys no goddamn choice because all of these soldiers trapped on the bridge are trying to get off the bridge, meaning mm-hmm. run away from battle. It's like, well, can't have that. He ordered his cavalry with him at the head to charge forward across the bridge. Mm, this gave his men two choices. Run forward, away from the horses, or die. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of was like, you know, when you roll a tube of toothpaste up, he kind of yeah. did that to his own army. Hey, man, if it works, if it works and it's stupid, then it's not stupid. Yeah, I mean, he was 64 years old, unsheathed his sword, and at the head of his cavalry, stampeded across his own army. Now, like I said, this worked. It forced the vast majority of his surviving military to get the fuck off of the bridge, running forward, or to a lesser extent, jumping off. There wasn't a whole lot of people that actually got ran down by him, but it was, you know, more than one. Right. You know, which Some is, guys. Yeah. This did break the Paraguayan ambush, because remember, they're outnumbered by literally tens of thousands, and they fucked off. And nobody's entirely sure of the casualty count here. Um, It's thought at least 1,200 Paraguayans died, Mm -hmm. uh, were killed or wounded, but being wounded at this point is virtually a death sentence. 
Sure. And uh, an easy estimate for uh, the Allied forces is double uh, or even like 2.5 oh, times that. Okay. It was a lot. It was a fucking lot. Yeah. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really mean anything. The Paraguayans lost 1,200 men that they cannot replace. Right. The Allies lost, let's say, 3,000 men. They're like, yeah, whatever. All right. <laughs> like, who gives yeah. a shit? Now, one of the wounded men on the Brazilian side, interestingly enough, was Deodoro Fonseca, who would eventually become president of Brazil. Uh, however, in the same attack, three of his brothers died. So, whoops. That's a shame. Yeah, well, Deodoro Fonseca would have kind of ended up being a bastard, so I don't feel too bad about All right. it. All right. Haha, <laughs> I'm glad your family's dead. Yeah, eat that, motherfucker. Lopez thought that uh, kind of like before that this punch in the face, this bloody lip to the Allies would slow them down. But uh, you know, it would make them sit around for a couple months, a year, a couple weeks, get angry at one another, bicker and argue and try to blame one another for whoever caused this. But that wasn't the case anymore. The Iron Duke was in 100% total unquestioned command of the advanced. People were upset, but he was like, shut the fuck up. And they're like, all righty. <laughs> There's a reason why he got his nickname. Because of this, Caballero wasn't able to make it back to the main Paraguayan position. Because remember, before, the, it's very easy to move and withdraw back to lines if you're not being fucking chased, which he was. Right. You know, the Iron Duke had a good idea. It's like, well, clearly that's not the main Paraguayan military. But we could kill the rest of them, and that would take away from the defenses, which hypothetically we were attacking. And he was goddamn uh, set on doing that, which led to the Battle of Ave. Now, this didn't necessarily have to go this way, because Caballero only had 5,000 men left, and he was arrayed against an army of 20,000. He told Lopez, like, hey, hey, but I'm kind of fucked over here. Can I get some reinforcements or something? And uh, Lopez is like, nah. It's a plot. It's a plot. Like, all right. Well, it's been good. Uh, And Caballero did not order a withdrawal in in any way. He had no genius plan. He had no ambush. He didn't even bother to secure his flanks. He knew the mission that he was given by his president was a suicide mission. So he simply lined up his 5,000 men and prepared to fucking die. That's loyalty. You're a moron. Uh, Well, I wouldn't go loyalty. We'll get there. Uh, (laughs) Fair enough. For all of the problems of the Paraguay military, discipline and loyalty was largely not one of them. If you ordered them to stand, fight, and die, they'd be like, all right. But like, you say so. You need more than that to win. Like in the long term, the only thing you're doing now is killing your country, but whatever. I never win Civ, but that's fine. Yeah. He's going for the wonder victory. Culture victory. Culture victory. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he arrayed his 5,000 men up and squared off against 20,000 people. And because he didn't even have enough people to really secure his flanks, he immediately got assaulted by cavalry, uh, attacked on both sides. Thankfully for him, you know, the Hellite military wasn't great either. But to make things worse, it began to storm, like not a trickle, a goddamn downpour, which using their own like shitty flintlock muskets meant that uh, they weren't a whole lot of use. Ooh. You could still fire them sometimes. Eh, I'm, it was his hit and miss. Sure. But that did not slow them down. Somehow the Paraguayan still held strong. And one of the guys with a working gun managed to blow off Brazilian General Manuel Osario's fucking jaw. Oh, like, oh that's that's tell you're not coming back for that one. One of uh, he didn't die. One of the eyewitnesses said it was like largely hanging on by a thread. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Yeah. 
Though this didn't even knock the man off of his horse. What? <laughs> Fucking what? It's like, that's ah, fine. It's fine. I'm fine. You guys, you guys know that Kanye West song, Through the Wire? That's what we're going to do. Let's do it. <laughs> he held his shattered face in one hand and a sword in the other and kept attacking until he finally blacked out from blood loss. Okay. Uh, roll the toddy toddy, buddy. Jesus. The man is a Warhammer 40k orc of some kind. But... Uh, attacked from the front and the left by two entire Brazilian corps, the uh, defenders formed a large square, which resisted almost literally until the death. Uh, soaked by the rain with ammunition that had largely become useless, the square had to face not only the cavalry, but mass ranks of allied infantry whose newer weapons, which we talked about before, worked better. I won't say they worked flawlessly because they still sucked, but they were better than flintlock muskets in this particular situation. Despite all of this, this battle went on for three fucking hours. <laughs> Only 50 Paraguayan soldiers managed to escape the battle back oh, to ass, the dude. main lines. <laughs> That's terrible. Now, one of them was uh, General Caballero, who did not escape unscathed. He had been ran through his neck by a goddamn sword. Jesus. <laughs> and he's like, nah, I'm dudes, fine. These dudes are fucking intense. Yeah, like... Soldiers were just built differently back then, man. Like, my they feet hurt after a march, and I didn't want to go out again. Like, <laughs> they stabbed me with the sword. I was going to call you mean names, but you beat me to it. No, nah, man, I'm completely honest with how big of a wuss I am. If someone ran a sword through my neck, I'm like, all right, all right, fine, fine, fine. I'm just going to sit down. You win. <laughs> bye. Bye. You can have whatever you want. Just leave me alone. Mm, you want this piece of dirt? <laughs> How about this shrub? <laughs> Meanwhile, Caballero's riding back, bleeding from a gaping neck wound, but uh, packing mud into it or something. I don't know. That's not. That's not. Don't do that. It's fine. It's it's antiseptic mud. It's not antiseptic mud. <laughs> Cannot advise this enough. <laughs> he, he was watching TikTok and filled it with his own piss because some chiropractor told him it was a good idea. Oh, that explains that infection. Now, while the Allies rested after this battle, preparing for their final attack on Lopez's rear, phrasing, (laughs) Lopez desperately tried to get something in position. Remember, his main line was kind of useless at this point, and it was abandoned. He sent everyone running west to start frantically digging defenses at the top of two hills to prepare for this new uh, advance on him. But by this point, no matter how hard his soldiers fought, they were shells of men. They were weak and starving and diseased. They lacked... Things have not gone well for our boys. Yeah, our brave boys are fucked. Uh, they lacked the strength to even dig positions down far enough where they could even hide behind them. Like, they dug trenches down to like their knees. Like, look, boss, this is all we got. <laughs> this is as far as it's going, buddy. Which, again, of course, look at these poor bastards. My mom had a client once who uh, was who had suffered some sort of workplace injury and the judge asked him to raise his right hand and he raised it sort of halfway. The judge thought he was being mocked. He was like, I said, raise your right hand. And the guy turned to him and goes, that's as far as it fucking goes. And <laughs> an energy I can respect. Now, the Duke had or- originally planned to launch his final assault on Lopez's headquarters on the 19th. But again, it stormed. Uh, heavy downpours made the attack impossible. And it wasn't until the 21st that he moved his army closer to the Paraguayan positions. As they got closer, Allied soldiers and the Duke himself heard constant gunfire coming from Lopez's headquarters. And they weren't exactly sure what it was. They weren't being counterattacked. No, no, no. It was more mass executions. 
Hey, third host of the podcast, Mass Execution. <laughs> Today, we now go, uh, we actually have to break for advertisements for today's sponsor, Firing Squads, brought to you by the, I don't know, state of Arizona. They feel like, I feel like they probably still do that. What's up, gamers? This is the state of Arizona. We're about to execute a man who we can't actually prove did anything wrong. Now we go live to the execution chamber where we're using gas for some fucking reason, like it's Nazi Germany. But don't worry, they backlit the execution chamber with gamer lights. Oh, RBG, uh, RGB. God damn it. This execution chamber brought to you by Tesla. I was going to say Corsair, but... <laughs> don't worry, they, they use one of their tunnel uh, machines to make it uh, more uh, effective to get the prisoner to the death chamber or something. Great. His victims included two of his favorite generals, Barrios and Burgess. As well as his former foreign minister and Lopez's own brother, who he forced his sisters to watch get killed. And I assume it was a warning. Now, as the first salvo of Allied artillery opened at the battle, would become known as Lomas Valentinas. Uh, it also has other names. I'm going with that one. On December 21st, 1868, the Duke sent over 19,000 men to assault the last and final bastion of Lopez, which was only held by 3,000 at this point, who were mostly dead on their feet. Yeah. The garrison was more malaria than man. Ah, ah, corpse army. Which sounds like an X-Man. Like, I have the power of pestilence. I don't fucking know. Yeah, it sounds great, but actually, it's bad. Despite the insane numerical disadvantage, the Paraguayans fought over every inch of soil on the hill without budging. The Brazilians were eventually able to overwhelm every position by sheer force of numbers, but would do so after having to kill every single man in it. If only one soldier was left alive, they would keep shooting at them or stabbing at them or, in one case, throwing rocks. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of sad we didn't get the uh, fighting ear warfare. You know what? I'm going to go on a limb here and assume that happened. Yeah, someone definitely bit someone. Yeah, someone, someone got bit. Uh, like rocks, knives, fucking punches and kicks. Someone got bit. Someone definitely got bit. At one stage, the advancing Brazilian infantry had to go within a few hundred yards of Lopez's headquarters. Now, Martin McMahon, who was the new American minister, and I do need to point out, was very pro-Lopez. Uh, he really liked him. That seems foolish. But all right. Yeah. Uh, he witnessed this battle at close quarters because, you know, like I said, he, Lopez brought his entire government with him. McMahon noted that if the Allies had deployed in normal infantry lines, they would have been able to just sweep back the small group of men who were resisting them. And they probably would have captured the headquarters with Lopez inside. Instead, what they did it was advance in columns. I try not to like talk about military tactics too much in here because it's like boring nerd shit. Right. So to explain this easier, hamburger. Uh, or not hot dog. Uh, oh. <laughs> right. Sure, yes. <laughs> they deployed in columns, not lines. So long, not wide, right? Mm-hmm. So, and McMahon was a Civil War veteran of the Union and had been awarded the Medal of Honor. So he knew a little something about warfare of the era, right? So I'm willing to say that he probably had a point. Right. Uh, now, the Allies kept advancing in their columns, which was very easy to slow down because the head of these columns would become under fire uh, from the defenders. And would not be able to redeploy. They would slow down, bog down, slowly get picked off from the side. And and like in a lot of other battles, it was very hard to command these columns to move as one. So it was a, a like you know fighting with action movie uh, uh, ideas of like one at a time uh, getting 
picked apart. Mm-hmm. McMahon watched as the weight of their numbers pushed the columns on and saw Paraguayan officers, including those of the general staff, come out of their headquarters and take their place in the line to fight them off. Oh, this is a Russian invasion of Ukraine shit. Now, this did not, however, include oh. Lopez. <laughs> yeah, I bet it did, did it. That's, that's funny how that works. Lopez like, well, time to get the fuck out of here. And he ran. Bye. Bye. This was the first time he was in legitimate danger. And it turned out he was not a very big fan of that kind of shit. Despite this and being outnumbered like crazy, the headquarters didn't fall. And the allies had to hold back and reorganize after losing 4,000 men. Come on, come on, man. <laughs> Skirmishing would continue along the line until December 17th, when the Duke decided to finally launch the final assault. Uh, like McMahon points out, they, the Duke was good, but uh, the Iron Duke was a much better military commander than the people that came before them, but he still fucking sucked. Right. Uh, he lost more people in the period. I mean, any attack up a hill is, is going to lose significantly more people than the defenders will every time. Um, however, right. <laughs> not this bad. Uh, there, there's very little reason why this, uh, this should have happened other than it's what we call a good old fashioned oops. But, you know, he had more men where that came from. So he launched another attack. I feel like you never want a good old fashioned oops. Have you ever had an oops that killed 4,000 people? Are you a uh, general yeah. officer? I, I've had diarrhea. I mean, <laughs> now, the Brazilian army at this point was quite exhausted from that first assault, so he switched them out for fresh and rested Argentine troops. And during this assault, the Paraguayans, who could not switch out their troops, broke. But so did the Argentines. Ah, uh, this is like the uh, second period where you let your opponent switch because it means you can switch too. Period of the long change. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> doing uh, doing line switches like in Mighty Ducks. Yeah, it's, it's a hockey match. No, this is this is how my tiny fucking ape brain works except this is like you know when you're playing an nhl game and you just don't pay attention to the endurance of anybody and everybody's like red and you just want to keep cycling out your stars yeah Uh, the paraguayans had no reserves so they were already exhausted the argentines were all rested but badly trained and led so they broke upon one another the two lines completely collapsed with very little command and control to small groups of men fighting over rocks and ditches without leadership, all trying to murder one another with anything they get their hands on. Oh, yeah. At this point, a 15-year-old American nurse named Ramona Martinez, who Lopez had enslaved, grabbed a sword and began slashing at the oncoming allies. Okay, what the fuck? Now, seeing this, the wounded that she was caring for took up arms again and ran back into battle at her side. Yeah, she's 15. She she needs help. <laughs> she became such an icon for her defense of her patients that a Paraguayan newspaper called her the American Joan of Arc. I, I, I will give it to her. Uh, that's pretty sick, but also probably violates some sort of convention. Oh, those didn't exist yet. Yeah, I know. You're I mean, fine. Fucking <laughs> asshole. <laughs> I mean, she was a slave. Uh, yeah. But, you know, hey, that's, Liam, that's Lopez's fault. You're making fault. a joke off of uh, my name's Joe, Joe Kasabian. <laughs> so you get, so you get. That's fine. That doesn't bother me. I have hearing damage. <laughs> By midday, it was all over. For the cost of 400 more Allied soldiers, the Paraguayan army was annihilated. Though Lopez and General Resquin, as well as Caballero, all survived. Escaping into the jungle. Once again, though, 
This is the first time that Lopez admitted to the Paraguayan public of whom I'm not even sure who he could actually communicate with at this point anymore, that they had lost a battle. This is the first time he admitted to losing a battle when he's about to lose the entire war. <laughs> he made camp at Cerro Leone, where slowly the battle's survivors trickled in. One of these groups is led by Guillermo Gonzalez, who was, despite the fact he was 16 years old, had been promoted to battalion commander on the merit that everybody else was dead. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> he got promoted the Starship Troopers way. You know, oh, I'm doing my part. He'd pull up his bootstraps, but his feet had long since rotted off. Now, the last Paraguayan stronghold of uh, Angostura? Angostura? I tried. Angostura, bud. Like the bitters, Joe. Had heard of Lopez's defeat. And the commander of this garrison assumed, like, when he got word of Lopez's defeat, uh, it was like, well, the war has to be fucking over. Like, there's... I'm surrendering. This is stupid. And he's, he's surrendered. Now... A week later, the Iron Duke's forces marched into the Paraguayan capital and captured it without a fight. There was nobody left to fight them. While the Argentine soldiers were ordered to stay on the outskirts of the city, the Brazilian soldiers began a looting spree unlike anything yet seen in the war. Now, there wasn't a lot of food or livestock. Yeah, there's to nothing. Steal. What is there to loot? Dude, they, they ransacked like doors and shit like oh yeah yeah you're gonna you're gonna show that off in your house just like ah i have two doors in my living room why you may ask now you fucking peasant you only have one look at these two uh, that's why they call you one door bobby you simple bitch <laughs> <laughs> like it was said that not a pane of glass nor a mirror nor a lock uh remained untouched uh like Happy to announce my new architectural salvage uh, enterprise. Please don't ask where it started. It was uh, more of a principal thing, like an outburst of anger, though there was a lot of rumors that on his way out that uh, Lopez and his inner circle had buried the wealth of the Paraguayan state somewhere oh, in the capital. I'll do that. He had stolen it. He had it with yeah, him. Yeah. Okay. That guy knew he wasn't coming back. No, he he sure hoped he was, but oh boy, he is not. But that did not uh, mean that uh, the idea of this rumor did not spread through the entire Allied force. So thousands of soldiers, when they got done stealing window glass and you know human beings, because that happened, uh, they were all digging. Like the entire capital was pockmarked, like it had been hit by an artillery barrage by a whole bunch of people looking for buried treasure. There was oh. none. There fucking was not. Embarrassing. Little was done to control this outburst of violence, mostly because the Duke, who had controlled the army the best of anybody so far, wasn't there because he had fallen ill with God knows how many diseases at this point and had to be shipped home. Meanwhile, Lopez is about 30 miles away attempting to raise another army. He sent out death squads to chase down deserters or people had survived one of the other battles and just went home assuming the war was over. Right. Now, by May, he had managed to gather 18 guns and around 12,000 men. Though I, I use the word men very loosely here. Many of them were not men. None of them were soldiers. They were described as, quote, Invalids and cripples and boys as young as 12. Uh, but don't yeah. worry, they also had men 60 and over. Real Volkstrom energy here. Yeah. And to this end, nobody is sure why he kept fighting. He could have very easily just skipped over the border to Bolivia, uh, who would who was open to this idea of like living in exile in Bolivia um, and lived out the rest of his life because 
you know, him and his mistress had robbed the country blind of its treasury when he ordered the capital's evacuation. Or he could have believed some foreign power was going to intervene, which was definitely not going to happen. While the U.S. and, for a lesser extent, the British supported him, like uh, the most that they were willing to do was kind words. Well, like they, they weren't going to fucking get involved here, especially right, not right. the United States. Remember, this is like 1868. The Civil War just got over. We're doing reconstruction. Leave us alone. Badly. Yeah. And not to mention the British. You know, I'm not saying the British wouldn't get involved in a pointless war on the other side of the world, but it had oh, to have some upside to, to them. And there really wasn't here. Like uh, Brazil and Argentina and Uruguay is really a non-factor here. It's not like they were like, haha, once we win and take over Paraguay, we'll never trade with the British again. Like the right. British are like, eh, well, we don't really give a shit here. Whatever. Nobody had any other skin in this game other than fucking Lopez. And right. the millions oh. of people he dragged down with him. Just sat on my balls. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> you were telling me you got about a guy with half his jaw hanging off his face earlier. Shut the hell up. <laughs> The most fanciful, I'll say, and least likely option is that he was truly a man of the cause, not a man for himself, but the cause that he said this was for, which was fighting for the right of a smaller nation to defend themselves from their larger neighbors. And remember, I cannot say this enough. He started this war. Yeah. <laughs> yep. This would be like Adolf Hitler sitting in Berlin like, I cannot believe imperialism has come I'm for being, me. I'm being victimized. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm simply the victim here, you know? But regardless of the reason, he kept at it. Now, his camp and the, I guess, exile capital, uh, he began to do weird shit. Uh, like, he ordered his men to have group readings of Chateaubriand's genius of Christianity. I don't oh, know why. Boy. And talk about what it meant to them personally. We're doing a fucking book club right now? Exactly. Imagine you're horribly racked with disease and more than one untreated wound. Motherfucker, the- I've got diarrhea coming out of my mouth. I have what? not seen a solid turd in years. <laughs> like, <laughs> and you want me to read a fucking book? Not to mention there's a, a fair amount of his soldiers just fucking illiterate. Because remember, it's not that long ago that like school was illegal. <laughs> There, there was also a weird episode where Lopez would just like sit down next to officers and ask their opinions on certain things, which remember, he never cared about. In fact, opinions on things that were not Lopez's opinions were largely illegal. Right. He would ask them if they would have done things differently. And of course, virtually everybody's like, this is fucking bait. No, Mr. General. Of course not, Mr. General. Now, there was one case I could find uh, where someone said that was not the case. It was a captain, a young guy uh, who was, well, they're all young or, or very old, mostly old or dead by this point. Uh, right, right. And he's like, actually, sir, this is, it's gone very badly. I'm going to be quite honest with you. And Lopez said it was impossible for him to do anything wrong um, because he had, you know, God's mandate, right? All right, motherfucker, that's not very helpful. And the captain pointed out that actually the only person who can do no wrong is God. And he was demoted and nobody ever saw him again. So. Uh. Owned with facts and logic. (laughs) Debate me in the field of logic as a black bag is shoved over his head. Don't, 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 don't engage the debate, bros. While this weird book club was going on, the allies began to march again. With the Duke half dead in Brazil, the army now came under the command of Count Luis Philippe Marie Ferdinand Gaston, which, yeah, the Brazilian emperor's son-in-law. And he was also the nephew of the previous French king, Louis Philippe. 
monarchies love to fuck one another. Oh, they sure do. Uh, not to mention, these guys are all mostly like Portuguese and French and British. Like, none of these guys are actually Brazilian. Uh, he spent the rest of the war not doing much of anything other than hating the Iron Duke for the simple fact that he believed that he should be in command because he was the prince. Womp womp. Now, his appointment was a win-win for Emperor Pedro of Brazil. The war was pretty much over, so Gaston really couldn't fuck anything up. Uh, anything too important, right? Like, he wasn't going to lose so badly that... Uh, I don't know. Lopez is going to march on Brazil anytime soon. Again, anyway. Mm-hmm. And it had the benefit of Gaston would shut the fuck up uh, and stop bugging him about being in command. Uh, though there was another problem that the emperor in Brazil was facing. And it was a foundational one, which would immediately lead to his government failing when the war was over. Amongst other things. It's not that simple. Sure. War is fucking expensive. Yes, it is. And this war was particularly expensive and getting unpopular. Since the Allies had collapsed to a pile of infighting and the occasional civil war, Brazil was 99% of the Allied force at this point. So anything other than winning this war, complete victory, which ended in Lopez's death, I should mind you, which was their agreement, mm-hmm. was political suicide. Furthermore, the stress of the war was causing the country to smash right into the growing unpopularity of the Brazilian imported imperial system, which wasn't Brazilian. It was Portuguese. Yeah. Now, the elections, which were very stilted and defrauded, were becoming violent as people bucked under the system and the growing middle class were getting pretty tired of this shit. And there was still another more important problem. Brazil had hemorrhaged themselves in this war nearly as badly as Paraguay had. They simply had a larger population and country. They had chewed through their armies and their reserves until they were freeing slaves just so they would go and fight, which is anybody could probably already figure out where this is going leads to the problem of what do you do with all these freed slaves if the armies were sent home? This made people pretty fucking mad. The entire Brazilian system ran on slavery, mostly because there were still other people enslaved. And soon the slave owning class was pretty worried about sending all these combat hardened and trained freedmen back home would lead to revolt. Because it probably fucking would. (laughs) Like, hey, freedom's pretty great, y'all. And now we know how to use these things called guns. Uh, That meant despite the war being, like I said, for all intents and purposes, over, it was in Brazil's imperial government's best interest if the army stayed in the field for as long as possible, even if they didn't need to. There was also the problem of the Allied army in general. The Uruguayans had all been knocked from the war, and the Argentinians completely just distrusted the Brazilians and stayed in the war mostly to spy on them because they believed that like they were next. Like Brazil is going to sweep through them as well, which definitely not. And they wanted a seat at the table when it came to like stripping Paraguay down to the studs when it was finally sure. over. Sure. All of this didn't stop them from launching the winter campaign of 1869, though. And the day of truly organized Paraguayan resistance was the thing of the past, even more than it was before this. <laughs> like I know I've said those words a few times, but there's still like trenches and stuff involved. Uh, throw that out the window. And the Allied armies were constantly harassed by guerrilla attacks and raids. And it didn't take the Allies long to get sick of just trying to set the bush on fire. They were trying to literally burn out the guerrillas, and it didn't work. What they did start doing was capturing outlying towns, many of whom were still like had functioning foundries in them that were cranking out guns, ammo, and cannons somehow for Lopez's war effort. 
This offensive had brought something new to the field, however. The Paraguayan Legion, manned by anti-Lopez dissidents and also a lot of press-ganged POWs, and commanded by Lopez's political opponents, many of whom former generals who managed to not get shot. This went along with the Paraguayan provincial government, handpicked by Brazil, much like it had done in Uruguay. Oh, this sounds like it's going to go great. <laughs> and one of the government's first acts was to name Lopez a traitor. Yeah, yep. so that's yeah. fun. This caused Lopez, already barely holding on to a string of sanity, to completely lose his mind. Whenever he heard reports about a part of his army, even a handful of soldiers, an officer, a fort, whatever, would surrender and switch sides, he would send loyalists in to murder them before like, they were to get to allied lines. This included an entire town at one point. In another case, when one of his commanders heard that a nearby family might leave camp to move closer to the allies he ordered them all murdered okay as for paraguay itself it for a lack of a better term was also being murdered towns and villages were abandoned either by orders of the government to move towards a gathering of war material or being wiped out by disease and famine there were no livestock as it had already been killed and fed to the armies and due to this shift in war production as well as the general degradative properties of widespread starvation combined with massive losses and disease, there was literally nobody left to sow the fields. Like, they were either dead or too weak to farm. Jesus. The picture painted by by eyewitnesses is best described as post-apocalyptic. Yeah, that that tracks. (laughs) Quote, Paraguayan civilians wandered among the roads devoid of purpose, picking up scraps from the soldiers, emaciated, almost skeletal, dressed in rags, and often partly or totally naked. Their eyes were sunken through hunger, lay deep in disease-ridden faces, and those who could not go on simply died by the roadside there, untended and unburied. Great. Yeah, he did this. Like, this, this is Lopez's doing. He did this to his entire country. The soldiers the Brazilians found themselves fighting during this winter offensive were mostly starved children and old men. They captured the Paraguayan base at Sierra Leone, commanded by Major Riviola, who surrendered, switched sides, and became the new provincial government. Glow up, if you will. Now, many of the strong Paraguayan positions had to be abandoned shortly after any combat began simply because the soldiers were too exhausted, too hungry, or simply unable to continue fighting. Yeah. That that tracks. How many times can you like drag a twelve year old out to fight before you have no twelve year olds left? Right. <laughs> July twenty fourth was Lopez's Saints Day, and he celebrated by joining the procession that carried the statue of Saint Francis up the slope of the Azacora Ridge. His eldest son, Pancho, swore that he saw the incline of its head and its eyes move. The statue oh. that is. Okay. So Lopez did the most sane thing he could do. Execute everybody. <laughs> He called his generals together to ascertain whether this was a miracle. They decided, sure. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever you say, boss, it was a miracle. I don't want to get executed. Yeah, exactly. I've made it this far. Uh, I can do whatever I need to do to get through this. And Lopez decided that he was God's chosen messenger to... You think, you think you're God's chosen messenger after the fucking war you just had? <laughs> <laughs> and he was willing them on towards the victory. Like he was one step away from calling himself Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> In reality, he had maybe 2000 soldiers and another 10,000 civilians packed into a tiny town that now acted as his capital. He did not even have enough soldiers left to man the only trench that they had managed to dig. On the morning of the 12th, allied artillery placed in the hills that overlooked the town opened fire. 
And at 8.30 a.m., 20,000 soldiers advanced from the north and east and south in unending waves that crossed the river and swept through the Paraguayan trenches in little more than half an hour. The fighting was vicious and confusing as civilians, mostly women, ran into the fighting with whatever weapons they could find, slashing and beating Brazilians as they poured over their defenses. Jesus, fuck. One person said they saw a man who was probably pushing 80 years old, standing in the middle of all of this, calmly taking shots with his rifle as if he was at a firing range. (laughs) Though an even greater number of civilians, once all this kicked off, dropped everything they were doing and ran towards the allies, desperately begging for them to take them in as Lopez had been forced them to live in this tiny, overcrowded, disease-ridden starvation camp that killed people literally every day. Again, Lopez's army was destroyed, hardly without a fight, and he ran away once again. I love stealing it. Yeah, it's the only thing he does consistently well. Though this time he had run away so quickly, he had to leave behind all of his luxury goods, which... Oh, no, not his luxury goods. He had been lugging this entire time, including his mistress's grand fucking piano. Nice. <laughs> you have no food or water or salt, but God damn it, you're dragging this piano through the woods. You better believe it. Priorities, baby. The Allies also captured a nearby arsenal had been churning out cannons to the tune of three per week, melting down whatever metal they could find that could not be used for other gun reasons. The people working there were mostly slaves, many of them foreigners that had come there uh, originally to help Paraguay build up its industrial base as advisors. And then when this war started, like, you're mine, bitch. You can't leave. Oh, no. The Allies were shocked at the state of how they found these guys. There's about like 70 to 100 of them while they were working there. As the Brazilian army log related, quote, the most pitiful spectacle, women, little children, and old men whose only food was flour extracted from palm. They looked like walking skeletons and had reached their last stage of weakness and anemia before death. I don't even know you could get flour from palm, but all right. Sounds awful. I wouldn't want to live on it. Necessity being the mother of invention, I I guess. It it sounds like you can't live on it, which is part of the problem, right? (laughs) Lopez fled further inland. His forces marched for another three days without water, uh, which I should point out that Lopez had food and water. He was never wanting for anything. His men had no food. (laughs) Like, he left it to Caballero to scrape together another fighting force, which ran into problems immediately as the allies began to chase him um, because he had to go into was effectively the allied zone of control to find more people. And he had scraped together around 4,000 people for his army, though when he was caught by the allies in the open attempting to get across a river, only about 1,000 of his soldiers escaped the battle, leaving 3,000 dead or wounded and all of their supplies behind. Christ almighty, dude. Yeah, and it gets worse. I said the thing. (laughs) Fine, fine. This battle is known as the Battle of Campo Grande, but it is also referred to as the Battle of the Children due to the fact that outside of a few officers, the entire Paraguayan military was made up of literally boys in their preteens. Jesus wept. Lopez retreated again, taking with him a gaggle of child soldiers and starving civilians, all of whom were unable to escape the threat of death, making him Paraguayan Joseph Coney, I guess. Oh, (laughs) it's not like escape was an option for these people. If they went running off into the jungle, they would have died. If they 
ran away from the Paraguayan military. He would order them killed. And there's also not a small chance uh, that if they ran into the allies, they would also kill them. So they just went with Lopez, where they rampant disease and starvation killed them. And, you know, the allies marched quicker and quicker to chase them down. They outran their supply lines, causing them to also die. Everybody's bad here. It sucks. Jesus fuck, dude. Supplies were irregular and dried up altogether, and soldiers were forced to go foraging in the woods for food. Now, these guys were not from these areas. They were not survivalists of, of any stretch. They had no idea what fruits or plants or whatever out there was poisonous. A lot of them died. Others were forced to eat a food called uh, karuru. Um, I'm sure I pronounced that flawlessly. Nailed it. And uh, it gave them explosive diarrhea, which combined with dehydration also killed them. That sentence, yep. Now, their life sucked so badly that many assumed that they were going to die anyway, so they just started shooting themselves. Yeah, fair enough. And Gaston, the man who, remember, had begged for years to be in command of a military to fight Lopez, begged and pleaded with Emperor Pedro just to end the fucking thing and let them go home. Oh, oh. <laughs> That's so when you're shitting out of your own mouth, huh? <laughs> it seemed the only people who wanted the war to continue were Emperor Pedro and President Lopez. And Lopez was starting to worry that someone in his camp might just fucking shoot him to bring the entire thing to an end, which, Fair yeah, enough. of course they would. And there does seem to have been a genuine, if half-hearted plot to kill him at one point, but... He decided the best way to fix this was more mass executions. Yeah, I bet he did. Yeah. My boy loves him. One colonel named Rosario finally managed to bring his exhausted unit of a few dozen kids back to Lopez's camp after outrunning the allies, only for Lopez to assume they took so long to show up because, you guessed it, he was a spy. Lopez rolled his eyes, handed over his sword, walked himself over to the firing squad, and waited his turn to die. Jesus. Lopez even arrested more of his own family and eventually killed them too in front of the ones he did not kill yet. (laughs) Like, remember, this is all like a marching army. So it's literally like a parade of insanity through the jungle. And uh, then more Jaguars showed up. Yeah, that happened again. While still others died, they also found a sweet jungle fruit that gave them dysentery. So there you go. (laughs) There's always something worse following. Terrific. When they got to a river, Lopez swam across it while his men and the civilians attached to him, all weak and dying, could barely pull themselves across on a boat. Like, he swam across it as like, uh, look how strong I am, men. With his middle middle fingers in the air, yeah. Finally, they made it to Cerro Cora, where they made camp, and this would be the last stand of the Paraguayan Napoleon. And by Napoleon, I mean Napoleon III, the bad one. The bad one, sure. Yeah. It didn't take long for the Allies to find this position and send soldiers in. Lopez's army numbered only 400. So the 4,000 Allied soldiers made pretty short work of them this time. There was little or no defense. It's hard to tell if they're even physically capable of it at that point. Sure. And Lopez, again, tried to do a runner. He was pretty quickly cornered and refused to surrender when Allied cavalry were on him. (laughs) He was stabbed by a man with a nickname that translates into English as Frank the Devil, which is fun. I like that. (laughs) I like it. That is fun. Sounds like like a mafia extra. Frank left Lopez on the ground to die with a pretty gaping stab wound in his chest, figuring he was done for. 
but he was found again by a different group of allied soldiers and was still alive. And again, he refused to surrender and got shot. This one finally killed him. His last words, supposedly, were, quote, I die with my country, which, yeah, he did that. He, yeah, he did. You did kill your you're country. Not, Good job. You're not wrong. And uh, there is reports like his uh, mistress saved his body from being pretty maliciously uh, mangled. And uh, whatever, I don't care. Sir Walter Raleigh's widow carried around his head in a bag for the rest of her days after he was beheaded. Neat. (laughs) No one knows where Oliver Cromwell's head is except for two people, I think, because they're afraid people will desecrate it. It's uh, it's actually in the studio with me here, and I do desecrate it. Ah, yes. Oliver Cromwell. Piss hole. I, I believe in public gender-neutral bathrooms, which is why we should all piss at Oliver Cromwell. Now, by the end of the war, Paraguay was destroyed. They laid in, com- in uh, complete no and shit. utter ruins. Casualty numbers are hard to come by and are all over the map. And it's widely reported that 90% of the population of Paraguay died. There is no evidence of that, however. The number does not mean the number is that high. Right. Uh, the most supported numbers are just as crazy. It is thought at least 70% of the entire population died and 90% or more of the male population died. It's a direct result from the wars. This is mostly disease and starvation, of course, right? with the fewest number dying from direct combat. But that's disease and starvation was a direct result of military conflict. This means proportionally to its population, this is the most destructive war in human history. Right. Outside of some like apocryphal notes from histories that we can't fully confirm of like entire civilizations being wiped out. Right. Because Paraguay obviously still exists. This is the most destructive war in human history that we know of and can prove. Right. Uh, and like the, the remaining parts of the civilization were not assimilated into neighbors and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, death was so widespread that after the war, because they were occupied by Brazil for some time, there's a provisional government, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were trying to figure out a way to have Paraguay rebuild um, or g- discover a new normal, whatever you want to call it. And they found that even if they were trying to restart anything that resembled a food supply, it was effectively impossible. There wasn't even enough children left to fill the labor gap. Jesus fuck. So many people were dead that child labor was not a viable option for relief. The destruction of the war was systemic and institutional. The state simply ceased to exist anymore. Not to mention the various bits amounting to a quarter of its entire landmass was taken by victors after the war. It would take generations for the country to do anything resembling rebuilding, and it incurred so much debt that it could never pay it off. Brazil simply forgave it in 1943. Brazil would occupy Paraguay for about a decade. Sure. The war would also cause indirectly slash directly the downfall of the Brazilian Empire and the imperial system, leading to the establishment of the First Republic, which thankfully remains a very normal country to this day where nothing bad ever happens. Moving on. Argentina collapsed into a pile of revolts for some time, but eventually did end with the government centralizing so that didn't happen quite so often. Again, a country where nothing bad ever happens ever again. As for who is at fault here, everybody. But to be more exact, Solano Lopez, without a doubt. The fault should rest solely on his shoulders. Uh, Everybody else simply gets an assist. So this is the part where I get to tell you, of course, he's championed 
as a hero by Paraguay to this day, after having his image rehabilitated by genocidal military dictator Alfredo Strassner, who was an enthusiastic supporter of Operation Condor. Right. Yay! Don't you love the story with a happy ending? Fuck. No. Yeah. Strassner is a fucking lunatic. And quite honestly, we might have to go back to Paraguay for a different series <laughs> at some point. <laughs> I had to cut off the ending of this episode and series because the more I read about Strassner, I was like, oh, oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Jesus Christ, dude. He was if Solano Lopez was malicious. Oh, no. Yeah. And also, would you guess a very close ally of the United States? Of course he was. Of course he fucking was. Uh, I'll do it again. <laughs> Liam, that is the War of the Triple Alliance. Um, one of the, the most requested series that we've ever done. Honestly, one of my favorites in, in a long time. Um, it's rare you find a story that you're like, nah, this can't get any worse. This can't get possibly dumber. And what it does is it gets worse. It, it always gets worse. No, that didn't, I didn't even mean for that to become a bit, but it, it's fucking true. So... We do a thing on the show called Questions from the Legion, where you support the show, you ask us a question, we answer it on air. Today's question is, what do you guys do to relieve stress? I was told I can't say masturbate. Of course, everybody does that. That's a a normal thing. Yeah. I can't Uh, imagine anybody who jerks off and gets more stressed out. That'd be weird. It would be weird. Although, I'm sure some people are doing it. Uh, No, uh, the big thing I do is go for walks. Uh, I, I journal sometimes. Uh, but yeah, going for walks, getting out of the space where I'm stressed is very helpful to me. Uh, that's the big one. Yeah, I find myself having a really hard time to do that because all of my work is on my computer. Right. Um, I rarely take, like uh, Liam, you're aware of this. I know Nate's aware of this. I never take a day off, um, whether it be writing or researching for the podcast, writing or editing a book, whatever I'm doing. I'm, I'm in grad school. So I, I like, I really have no time and i do a lot of this to myself um admittedly i'm self-sabotaging here like this weekend for the first time and honestly i can remember um i took the whole weekend off i've gotten into emulators uh so i can play like old chill like rpgs like i started playing uh wild arms 3 it's delightful um and it really helps me do something completely unrelated to anything else that i have to do and it is nice and of course i i work out a lot and i i Encourage other people to do that too, uh, but yeah, I just I'm I'm slowly learning um, how to not kill myself via stress and overwork. So it's lovely. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to drink less. Shockingly, yeah, that's never doing more. Of that's never going to help. Um, anyway, Liam, thank you for joining me for the last five You're weeks welcome. of war. Happy to. Um, everybody, thank you so much for listening. I hope you like what we do here. Uh, if you do. Money. <laughs> If you do consider throwing us a dollar or more on Patreon, you get like Discord access, bonus episodes, episodes early, stickers, discounts, and stuff. Um, and if I mean, if you don't, cool, it's your money, do whatever you want. Blow me. Um, thank you, Liam. <laughs> but if if you don't want to do that, leave us a review. Those are free. They help us algorithms and, and the like. Um, yeah, and until next time, uh, don't go don't, in the shit swamp. Don't <laughs> don't eat whatever that flower was. Yeah, don't don't eat dysentery.